Welcome back to the episode 26 of the All Music Is Good podcast, or from here in to be always known as the Olympics episode, where the podcaster takes a deep dive into four recent releases. We get right in there to try and work out what's great and sometimes not so great about each one. This week, we'll be looking at albums from Louis Baker, Tyler the Creator, Charlotte Day Wilson, and Inhaler. Now, normally at the beginning of each episode, I start this opening monologue by leading with some playful but subtle digs at my co-host, Eric Bloom. And the scale of these digs often depends on how much time I've spent editing the previous episode. If it's been a lot, then this spiel can often degenerate into some full-blown passive aggressiveness as I metaphorically hit him with a series of body punches, which can often take him half the episode to recover from. But today we're having none of that because Eric's taking a much-needed week off. And I would tell you what he's up to, but in all honesty, I forgot to find out. What I will say is I'm going to take this opportunity to get in a bunch of boxing analogies, knowing that when he listens back to this taping, it will kill him to know that I let off with boxing references and he wasn't here to riff off it. So with that being said, I'm going to ring the bell in true WWE style and introduce my tag team partner and co-host for this week's episode. Now, I don't want to draw attention to trends for fear of jinxing the successes of future guests to this pod, but I do feel like I need to point out that since she last appeared on our show, this individual has released what I believe to be maybe her first aria charting album, as well as a solid, oh, as a lot, well as a sold out national tour, including two, may I add, two massive nights at the Croxton a couple of weeks back. So it's fair to say that the All Music Is Good podcast can't take all the credit for her success, but there's no denying the fact that these sort of stratospheric highs weren't on her radar prior to her two previous, two previous appearances on this very show in 2020. Make of that what you will, but the parallels are surely too strong to not just be a coincidence. So it's on that note that I take great pleasure in tagging her into the ring, this week's replacement presenter. Can I say a big welcome to my far more successful and quite frankly way better looking version of Arik, <laughs> the co-host for this week's episode 26, Liz, I owe all my success to this podcast, Stringer. Liz. Yeah. And, you know, all jokes aside, I do. <laughs> you do? <laughs> yeah. You cover it all. I mean, no, I'm just saying I do owe all of my success to oh, you guys. That's what I meant. <laughs> Not like, yeah, yeah, no, I am way better looking and, and cleverer and, um, you know, like better at podcasts than Arik. That's not what did, I meant. Did something change? Like, did you feel like something changed like halfway through 2020 when, you know, when we came on and we we, <laughs> we riffed footy and it was we were deep in lockdown and maybe just the sun sort of started to shine a bit more brightly yeah. and, and things just went on this new, new path for you? Something happened for sure. <laughs> Look, what's happening, man? Like you, there's so much love for you out there at the moment. The album's charting. Um, Jesus, must be such a relief to have it out. It is a relief, and it um, it's also a relief to not hear that track in the background anymore. Which is... <laughs> there's no track. I mean, it's due okay. to the magic of editing. <laughs> there may be no track. It may be a different track. Who knows what it will be? Um, yeah, it's really good because I made the album a few years ago, and. Uh, Obviously, I would like to be playing some more gigs, um, you know, vis-a-vis the gigs that I had booked. <laughs> yeah. But um, we did sneak those Croxton shows in, thank God, so at least I feel like we've done something. Um, but, yeah, no, it's good. It's It's been a really good response. I'm pumped. 
Would it be right? Would I be right in assuming that like the catering and VIP arrangements are on par to the Midnight Oil tour from last year that you were on? Look, um, I think probably the biggest difference would be that there's not a like a, you know personalised chef. Otherwise, um, yeah. <laughs> it's very similar. <laughs> yeah. Did you get Did you get to Adelaide as well? Were you there in Adelaide last week? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I snuck in and out of Adelaide, uh, dodging lockdowns. As well, which was really fun. Did you have to have tests when you went in? Yes, I had one at the airport. Um, so I just ran, got off the plane and ran down. And you have it like right outside the doors of the airport. They have a little thing set up. And so I got it done really fast. It was fine. And then I had to have one when I got back to um, also negative. So that's good. Um, it was pretty painless. But um, it, a day or a day on either side of that coming and going would have been a different story. So... Are they the quick? Um, are they the quick twenty-minute tests that they are doing there, or are they the no. full? You have to isolate. Um, well, actually, at that point, you didn't. You just like you couldn't go into into uh, what's the word? Um, high risk areas, oh, yeah, basically yeah. like hospitals, yep. um, old people's homes. And as I wasn't doing that, I was okay. But um, yeah, they t- it sort of changed. Uh, it changed by the hour that thing. So I yeah. I could just be in amongst the community and just uh, – I got my test later that night, I think. So is the next um, – so have you got a heap of dates for August, obviously, that just aren't happening now? What was it, New South Wales, Queensland, NT? Is that what was on well, the agenda? Well, there was a lot of Victorian – I was going to do solo gigs. Um, yep. So Victoria, a little bit of sort of northern or central to northern – central coast to northern coast of New South Wales and – Brisbane so I'm hoping that we can at least do some of them I, I, I'm doubting that um, anyone's going to be allowed in or out of New South Wales for quite some time unfortunately yeah. Yeah. even northern New South Wales which is you know and and considering you know without making too light of it because I think that it's troubling um, the the rate of the um, anti-vaccination sentiment in northern oh New South God. Wales is um, yeah. is not going to help. So, um, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But hopefully, you know, at least now, now Victoria... I mean, the funny thing is, when we went into that lockdown in June, I, I said to a few people, like, fuck this, I think I'm going to move to Sydney. I just can't, you know, I can't be in yeah. somewhere that locks down so often. And, and, you know, I really appreciate... I mean, I've always been a big fan of the Victorian government, to be honest. I think they've handled this, with some notable exceptions, yeah. uh, really well. It's um, sort of like... I was saying to someone today, it's sort of like... Um, they're like your, your parents, yeah. the, the government. It's like, well, we don't like it right at the moment, but you're going to thank us yeah. in a, you know, six months' time. It's very much, you know, oh, we're relying on them to do the right thing, and they, by the large, seem to be doing the right thing. By the general population. Totally. Whereas Gladys is more like, you know, the mum who wants to come out and, you know, have a glass of Chardonnay while all the kids are smoking <laughs> bongs. Do you know what I mean? It's just inappropriate. And it doesn't, like, it doesn't, it, it doesn't inspire any, it's not, I don't think that it's particularly inspirational leadership or trustworthy leadership. I just don't, I'm certainly not blaming her. I mean, I put the, no. the blame 1000% on the federal government for all of this. Yeah. But I just, yeah, I think that the, that I, at, at least I have faith that in Victoria, shit's going to get fixed as quickly as it possibly can, you know, whereas, 
in New South Wales. I just I just don't know. I mean, none of us know how bad. I mean, Delta variant aside, it's like, you know, it's just frightening how out of control the whole situation is, it seems. Yeah. Like every week we say we're not going to talk about it, but it just like seems to get crazier and crazier. And like we're on probably level two of 50 in regards to craziness compared to what the rest of the world's um, gone through. But look, look, so this is a music podcast. Let's get down to business. And, yeah. I, and I will get my next guest in on this at some stage because I know he's on your wavelength. But as our resident AFL correspondent, yeah. like what, what the fuck is going on at We're a Happy Team at Hawthorne? They're not a happy team. What is happening? Rebuilding. <laughs> One <laughs> they word. Haven't, they Rebuild. haven't said it though. Pardon? Have they said it? Well, they haven't said it, but that's what it—that's what one says when one is about to win the wooden spoon, isn't it? That it's just a rebuild. What's your What's your thinking around Clarko and and uh, Sam Mitchell? Like, there's leaks going on, and it's 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 quite quite what, horrifying. That th- what do you mean? Well, the fact that you know the, that Mitchell's saying that he wants to be coach next year, but Clarko's signed. Oh, there seems to be like mixed messaging. I. I was under the impression that that it was pretty clear that Mitchell was going to, um, you know, st- start at the end of Clarko's contract. But I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if if everyone if all the parties are in agreement, um, if if Clarko just shuffles off next year. I mean, what you know, why not? I I don't think at this point that would be a big issue. I, I as a Hawks fan wouldn't worry about that. Yeah, after four premierships, you don't tend to worry about those sort of things, do you? No, no. And if it, if it's like you know, I mean, I, I would be very interested to hear Matt's uh, opinion on this. But I mean, it's not like to me that's not the pivotal issue right now. Like I think it's very clear that the list that we have is underdeveloped, and um, yeah, we may as well just get just kind of you know wipe the slate clean now rather than have Clarko. Oh, I mean, I'd be happy either way. To be honest, I don't, you know. I also think if Clarko wants to go and coach somewhere else, then fair yeah. enough. You know, like fair enough. I, I'd be, if I was a Carlton, of course I'd want Alistair Clarkson to come and coach, yeah. you know, or an Adelaide or whatever. Like, of course you would. But, um, yeah, I, I really don't. I, I'm just like really grateful that um, he was our coach at all. <laughs> So, like, as in, like, you know, as an Eastern, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Having grown up in the East, having a pragmatic outlook, rather than just wanting to step on people's faces for the rest of your life, you're happy for him to go and, um, you know, start again. Four premierships is enough. Thanks very much. We'll have our time down in the bottom for the next 10 years and then we'll come back. I just don't, I just don't think it serves anyone to be any different. I, I, like, I just don't, I don't see how him being around for an extra year under potential duress and kind of holding up a succession plan that I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, you know, what? like, what, who cares? Well, we should get in someone else to talk about this, um, if you're happy to, unless you've got anything else to say about the matter. I no, mean, I mean, I'm sure there, there'll be other opportunities to discuss <laughs> this further. <laughs> I mean, Savina gets good here. Sean's played his 400th. Um, I mean, that got us through a big chunk of the season. Will he get there? Won't he get there? And distracted from a lot. So, you know, it hasn't been a, a shit year. By any I mean, and I was also so I was also thinking, um, that was a false alarm, me stopping talking about this. Um, I I was thinking about Bruce today, actually, and I was like, I wonder if he's going to be slowly, you know, if he would sort of enjoy going somewhere 
like I don't know who would who could use a, a really good small forward. Geelong, they just take everyone old. Yeah, totally. I mean yeah. that that would make why not? You know, I mean I think there there might be. I mean, Bruce is only, what, 27 or something? He seems like an ancient yeah, old man. Yeah, he seems really old. I'm he sure does. the dogs tried to get him last year, but he, they just said, oh, we're just going to see what happens this year. So, look, maybe we'll, we'll get him next year. I don't know. Yeah. Like, he's got he's got trade value. He does. And I, I reckon, you know, I think just embrace the change is is this year's, is the pandemic's motto, isn't it? It, it is. Be, be pragmatic, get through it, yeah. move on. Look, look for a brighter day. Um, all right, well, let's get in this week's guest because he is an avid Hawks supporter as well, but I think that's it for the AFL chat this week. I'm sorry, guest coming on. Um, now, when we talk about people behind the scene in the in music, we could literally be talking about like 95% of the industry, like from bookers to bussies, from labels to lighting techs, and like the All Music Is Good podcast It's always been about Equally about as those in the front, like, you know, my co-host tonight, as it is about finding those people in the background doing the heavy lifting. This week's guest is, did his apprenticeship at one of the flagship recording studios in Melbourne before he, before it met its demise at the hands of greedy developers. I think it was maybe three years ago. Um, Sing Sing Recording Studios in Richmond was where you would find this guy back in the 90s and 2000s. His first album at the helm on the Mighty Neve console was to record Cat Power's seminal debut album Moon Picks with the legendary Dirty Three. But if you get on Discogs and check out this guy's Palmares, it's quite staggering to see what this individual either has assisted on or engineered on. Basically a who's who of Australian bands. And just to run through the list for a second, you know, what do we got here? We've got The Living Anne, Powderfinger, Paul Kelly, Big Scary, Augie March, Black Eyed Susans. My personal favourite, Kiss Symphony. Um, these days, he's um, head of music at uh, Box Hill, TAFE, um, and just because he has so much free time on his hand, I think, uh, I haven't talked to him about this, he's still finishing his Masters um, in something to do with pop and music. Um, can I say a big all music is good welcome to the man behind the bands, Mr. Matt Voigt. Matty, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Wazza. Thank you, Liz. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Well, dude, welcome, man. Uh, we've been we've known each other for twenty years, so it's so nice to get you on and just have a chat about all things music. I mean, um, thanks. Where are you? You're at your box hill at the moment, aren't you? I'm working at box hill at the moment. Yeah, so um, stepped into the head of music role at the moment, um, and that's been a exciting, fun, a challenge. Um, I think I tried to explain to my daughter. What do I do these days? And I said, I answer emails, solve problems, and um, make phone calls. Get cranky. It doesn't sound like much yeah. fun. Is it? Well, maybe we should take it back to when it was fun, Maddie. Let's go through it chronologically. Like, so step us, step us through it. So, when did when did you start in engineering? Engineering. I started in '91. I think it was '91 or '92. Started at a place called RBX mm-hmm. uh, in Richmond, and that was just uh, just behind or next to the Johnny Young Talent. Um, times oh, those were the days. Classic. Those, they were the days. Did you see anyone Kelsey coming out? Did you see like our, um, well, we've got an Instagram like of the week, Danny Minogue. Did you ever see her coming out of the Johnny Young Studios? Didn't see Danny. Of course, Tina Arena was a staple there because um, Ralph Carr's management was also in the same building. Oh. Uh, and we did uh, lots of ads and um, back, when the, back when bands came in and played on the ads for 15 seconds yeah, right. and 30 seconds. And uh, then that was a career probably. 
Yeah, um, yeah, session players, career playing ads. So, um, yeah, it's different now. So you went from RBX straight to Sing Sing? Then went to Sing Sing. So, uh, and I think the first thing I did when I started there, I, I got a job there as an assistant slash engineer. So I'd sort of do all sorts of things, whatever was needed to be done. I think I worked on a Skyhooks album that never got released wow. was the first thing. But that's how you used to do it, wasn't it? You would do your apprenticeship in a big studio and you would do that for three or four years, wouldn't you? Or longer. Or <laughs> <All> longer. <laughs> yes. I think you just do whatever work comes your way. So, um, But then I was, I was also recording as well. So I'd record bands and then I'd assist and record and um, do all sorts of things. So... Look, you were—is is this is the story right? Is this your first album that you had, or was it the first, the album, first you album you produced? Done. Or any, yeah, the uh, first notable album, first album that got recognised, maybe. Right. Um, but it didn't at the time, yeah. did it? It was sort of you know just a just a you know quick two or three days in the studio, wasn't it? Yeah, I was—I actually did a, an interview for. Um, uh, I can't remember her name. She's writing a book on the process and, and the album. And I think Sean thinks we were there for three days and I thought we were there for ten days. So, it's, I mean, it was a long time ago. So yeah. Maybe it was six. Right. Um, it, it didn't take long, though. It was pretty much record and mix. Bang. And the story was that she turned up in Australia with having spent all her recording budget and she needed a cheap studio to get the the album done? I, yeah, I, that's what that's what I'm led to believe. So uh, she was out here um, and she had to record an album. Um, she was uh, friends with the Dirty Three and they'd maybe um, done some recording at um, uh, maybe Jim's house or Mick's house or something like that. And then they'd come and sort of do the whole album at, at Sing Sing. So history was made um well it's like in hindsight yeah it's it's a, one of the seminal um indie albums of the 90s i think wasn't it um what about some other highlights dude i remember you were i remember seeing you at the time um that you were overdubbing for kiss um when they came out to work with the melbourne symphony orchestra what was the story didn't they overdub all their parts is that is that what it was pretty much they did everything except for um tommy Taya, who was filling in for ace freely um they didn't do his guitar and they and they didn't do any of um the drums so so the story is they recorded an album with the melbourne symphony orchestra and then they came into the studio and re-recorded all their parts just tightening it up. Just, just okay, tightening sorry, it up. tightening it up. Just, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Little edits. Little edits. Um, so from the, so was that so straight from Sing Sing? Did you you went off on your own for a little bit, didn't you, before you moved to Box Hill? Uh, yeah, I suppose I've freelanced really since nineteen ninety one. Ever since I started, or well, maybe at the RBX, I was actually employed. But then ever since working at Sing Sing, just freelance. So recording, mixing, doing whatever, whether it's touring, live mixing, whatever it took to get that cash flow. Have you ever been? Did you ever record there, Liz? No, I didn't. I didn't. Did you ever go in there? Oh, actually. Whose dog was that? Um, sorry, we've got two puppies. Oh. <laughs> They're eight months eight months old. They might bark. Cute. Um, I think I did some. I think I sang on one track there once, but I, ne- I never did any of my own recording. Um, can I? I have a question for you, Matt, as a, as an engineer. Yeah. Do you have a um, 
Do you enjoy live mixing? Oh, I did. It's a different it's a different pressure. Yeah. Like it's it's bang bang fast. Let's get it done. Uh, and then when you're done, it's like, oh wow, you know, that was awesome. Do you feel like you um, can are you the sort of personality that responds well to that pressure? Because I've always thought that I wouldn't respond well to that. Do you, do you think you you do? Uh, I do it because it's a, necess- a necessity. Yeah. You, know? you just do it because you have to. Um, I don't know. I, I probably don't enjoy it as much as the creative aspect, aspect of the studio. Yeah. So you can really spend time getting really um, interesting sounds and – getting a bit artistic where live you're just sort of forced to make it happen. Yeah. Um, and there's still a lot of creativity there. Um, and I suppose the more and more you do it, you just it just becomes second nature. Yeah. It seems um, to me a very high-stress yeah. job. So the mixes, uh, the mixes, uh, the, the engineers mixing for you are sort of a bit stressed, you reckon? No, 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 no. Just, just like in general. I just think it's a... Um, uh, I think that the really good engineers, in my experience, the ones that I've worked with, have a certain particular kind of temperament. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just being a bit unflappable, you know, like just really absorbing pressure and stress and just being able to think clearly. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I was, I'm always interested to ask that question. Carry on, was sorry. Yeah. No, no, I think that, that's that's a good point because I think, you know, from my I've worked with Maddie a number of times and that's always been my experience and moving on with other engineers, especially studio mix engineers or working with them, that that is like part of the job, a main part of the job to be able to be unflappable and to be Switzerland in a way yeah. and to, you know, uh, get the job done. Just to be able to manage egos and also be mm. able to, you know, meet deadlines and all that sort of stuff. And it requires a, a certain type of character mm. to be able to do that. And especially year on, year out. Like it's, you, there's nowhere to hide, I don't think, um, in regards to personality traits. You might be able to do it for like a couple of months if you're not that type. But to do yeah. it year in, year out, you have to be that person. Mm, I agree. Mm. Hmm. So, look, dude, you've moved to you moved into education. Like, was it about five years ago? Like, so do you miss the the studio aspect of it, or was it time to move on? Um, I do, I do, and I don't. Um, so obviously, I moved into education because that lifestyle. I just had to move away from that lifestyle. That sort of, um, you know, working twelve, fifteen, sixteen hour days. Um, not great for the family. Yeah. Uh, and so I just wanted to move away from that. So I do miss it sometimes. Um, and I kind of stopped altogether any mixing or any recording because I was doing this master's because I needed to finish off a master's. So, And I have handed it in. Oh, wow, congratulations. Like two or three weeks ago. Wow, congratulations. It's massive. So we'll see, see how it goes. Well, so look, so two things. One, I'll come back to the Masters, but um, yeah. so the the beautiful thing was that Sing Sing finished, but all the gear from Sing Sing Richmond, well, all the gear that counts, moved across to Box Hill, didn't it, um, into the, yeah. new, the new studios there. So it's Sing Sing East in Box Hill, yep. effectively. Yeah, so it was just a, a bit of good good luck and good timing. So at Box Hill, at the Whitehorse campus, um, they had to move because I think they were doing a deal with buildings and um, so the building was going to get uh, torn down. So we had to find a new uh, space to put all the music department. And so it was at the same time that Sing Sing in Richmond, uh, in Cremorne, where that building was sold um, and they had to move out of there. So... They, Kai and Jude were looking to get rid of 
all the gear as a lot and we were able to help them out. Uh, well, most of it anyway. Amazing. So, and so is that, yeah, so awesome. are people allowed to hire that out or is it mainly for the students? That's mainly for the students, but we do we try to get artists in residency in, um, and we try to do a little bit of commercial hire. We did one just recently where um, John Gusset Gusket came in and did uh, a whole lot of orchestral recordings for a game. So like a computer um, game, yeah, computer game, yeah, yeah. computer so, game. <laughs> That's so old. Computer <laughs> games. Where the money? What do you call it? It's not a computer game, though. It's like a, 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 I don't know. It's called something. I'm, that's how old I am. I don't even know what the right term is. Um. So, uh, to masters. What was it? Was it something to do with top forty radio and? It was mixed profiles it was on the Triple J Hottest One Hundred, actually. So it was: uh, Are there common characteristics of Australian bands that break into the Triple J Hottest One Hundred? So, so let's just go straight to the conclusion. Like yes or no? There, <laughs> yes, there are common characteristics. Interesting. So it was really. Uh, I mean, what makes a hit song? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? Mm. And there's so many elements to a hit song. Um, there's the marketing. There's the fashion. There's um, all the support, and then there's the song. You know, there's the melody, yeah. uh, chord progression. Expo- exploitation then, of, yeah, there's all of that. Yeah, so I tried to focus on the structure. So things like tempo, uh, arrangement, the key of the song, uh, how long till the chorus came in. Mm. What's the most how, common how key? How long was the intro? Most common key, well, it's actually C and A minor. Of course it uh, is. And also, yeah. <laughs> So it's a surprise. It's a surprise, isn't it? C and A minor. Okay. Because they're the easiest ones to play on keys and guitar. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing. Um, And G and E minor as well. Yes. So they're songs that are easy to play on the piano and the Mm. guitar because when you're writing a song, you know, I don't want to make it hard for myself. I want to sing and I want to play. So they're the predominantly, um, you know, used chords. And what? And so intro lengths. What are we talking? Straight in, bang, ten seconds. Intro length. Yeah. Oh, jeez, you put me on the spot with so figures you only, now, aren't you? You only did it three weeks well, ago. F- yeah. yeah. I forgot it about it. Now yeah. I don't want to talk about yeah. it. I, I forgot it an hour later. Yeah, it's just the trauma of writing it. Must. Yeah, it's just gone from your mind. It is. Um, not long. Not long. It's interesting because uh, it's gotten shorter, hasn't it? Because I was listening to some Hall and Oates tracks the other day, just thinking about you know, oh my god, when's the song going to start? And then you um, <laughs> there's um the song Journey. I don't know if you've ever watched Rick Beato on um, YouTube. He, he deconstructs famous songs, and the song um, by Journey. What's it called? Um, don't stop believing. They don't get to the chorus to like three minutes 40 into the song. And it's yeah. just like, whoa, would that ever happen today? No way. That's not the norm. Only Tame Impala. Only Tame Impala would do that and get away with it. Well, mate, thanks for coming on. Looking forward to um, dissecting some albums with you this week. Um, I think we're going to go to one of the most outstanding segments that I developed on this podcast. It's called the Instagram Like of the Week. So the Instagram Like of the Week is a segment that celebrates a new Instagram account we've come across between episodes. Each week I invite my co-host and our celebrity guest Matt Voigt to guess who or what this mystery account may be. 
As we like to reiterate each episode, it's not our social media, it's not about our social media game. We aren't about the cheap thrills of a like. It's about honouring others with an all music is good like on their account. It's a select group of people who receive this honour. So just ask last episode's inductee, Michael Belzari, aka Flea. So I'll get straight into it. Um, I actually forgot to write the answer down. I'm just looking now. I think I remember who it is. Um, <laughs> the- <laughs> This mystery person is the eldest of seven children and her father left at an early age. She had a tough, tough, although happy childhood with her mum having to make ends meet to the point that as a teenager, she only had two sets of clothes. Shania Twain. Shania Twain. Oh, straight in there, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not Shania Twain. Do you know that she only had two sets of clothes? No, there was something in there that, that inspired me to say that. I can't okay. remember now. Um, look, enjoying music, she decided that she would take up the drums as a teenager and join a punk band. I, I've only got one more clue. I've, but Her second band became the first female band in history to top the US charts. Is it Sheila E? What's that? Who? Sheila E. Sheila E. Was she, what, was, what female band was she in? Was she solo? Uh, I oh, think, well, this the, the, the clue was first female band in history to top the US charts. Did she play drums in the in the band? Oh, good question, Liz. No, she didn't. Is it Courtney Love? No, it's not Courtney Love. I don't think she was all female band either. I will oh, give you another... Hull had one boy, didn't they? Yeah, they had, yeah they, the guitarist was a, a male. Um, the... I'll give you one more clue. Um, this is just off the top of my head. In uh, 1987, she had multiple number one hits as a oh, solo artist. Belinda Carlisle. Belinda Carlisle. Oh. Welcome. What well on, Liz? Woohoo. Welcome to this week's uh, All Music Is Good Instagram Like of the Week in Hall of Fame. Belinda Carlisle. Interesting story. Like that, that, that. Um, was all over the place, that band, the Go-Go's. Mm. Um, I think there's a docker that's just come out on it as well, which yeah. is supposed to be really good. Any um, any uh, Belinda Carlisle stories you want to share with us, Liz? I just... Belinda Carlisle reminds me of the Rosebud roller skating rink because <laughs> it would have been about, I guess, 1985 or six. Heavenly's had, Place on Earth? Yep. Yeah. Um, and what was the uh, Summer Rain... Summer rain. Just going round and round on roller skates. Yeah. Um, was there any other ones off that? I think she had an album up. I think she was um, uh, had a, a serious uh, drug addiction, uh, which she's only just sort of overcome in the last five years. And uh, But a really, really interesting story. Um, so I'm really keen to check out that doco. Yeah, me too. Um, Maddie, bad luck. Um, good try, though. Um, it was a stab in the dark. Who did you pick again? Oh, Sheila Ree. Yeah. Sheila Ree. <laughs> okay. Maddie, if I can just offer a tip, uh, you just keep saying um, names until one of them's correct. That's that's my strategy. Yeah. Um, well, pretty good. You only said two names, didn't you? Three. I think, I think that was number three. three. Okay. Lucky number three. <laughs> Going at 33%, not bad. Yeah. Um, so, look, uh, obviously we'll be back next week with another, you know, obscure a reference person for the All Music Is Good Instagram Like of the Week. But we're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back with the first album of the week. Mm-hmm. 
So this is Love Levitates by Louis Baker. Uh, Louis Baker, born 1989 in Wellington, is a New Zealand soul musician and singer-songwriter best known for his live shows and is one of New Zealand's highest profile independent artists, seeing success both locally and internationally. Baker was born and raised in the suburb of Newtown in Wellington and began writing songs at age 11. And at age 17, he was a finalist in a national songwriting competition. From 2010 to 2014, Baker was part of a nine-piece neo-soul experimental hip-hop collective, Brockaflowersaurus Rex, who had a reputation for energetic... Mm, it sounds like and a uni band. It sounds like what? A uni band. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that should read uh, hip-hop uni collective, Brockaflowersaurus yeah. Rex, who had a reputation totally. for energetic and infectious live shows. The band self-released their debut album, Build It in 2014. Baker studied a Bemis Jazz performance degree at Victoria University of Wellington and in 2012 he won a scholarship to the Red Bull Music Academy in New York City, seeing him have studio sessions with Just Blaze and lectures from Brian Eno, Questlove and Q-Tip of a tribe called Quest. He spent the summer following his time at the Red Bull Academy in London and recorded his debut EP, producing a standalone single, Even in the Darkness, and five other tracks with Andy Lovegrove, who was produced for Supergrass. Great band, just mm. by the way. This sparked critical acclaim in New Zealand and led Baker to be nominated for the APRA Silver Scroll for his song, Back on My Feet. From 2014 onwards, Baker released a number of singles, including a collaboration with Jordan Rakai. Rakai, thank you. And then found greater stardom with his track Rainbow, written in Wellington and recorded at the Red Bull Studios in England with the next men's Brad Ellis. It performed well on the New Zealand charts and on Spotify and was critically acclaimed in New Zealand and overseas. Rainbow was followed up by the singles Fade, Gave It All Away, Addict and Black Crow, in which Baker demonstrated his introspective, honest and sincere songwriting skills and soulful crooning. His debut album, Open, dropped in 2019 to widespread acclaim, along with nominations for Best Soul R&B Artist and Best Māori Artist at the 2019 New Zealand Music Awards. His latest release is titled Love Levitates and was self-released last month. All right. Well, do you want to kick it off, Liz? What do you reckon? What do you think of it? Sure. Um, look. Um, <laughs> I it was a very pleasant listen. Um, I, he's got a he's got a great voice. I, I I understand that he plays. I know that he is a guitar player. I don't know if he played all of that sort of hollow body classic kind of soul jazz guitar on there, but it's beautiful. Um, it's got a it's got all the kind of classic hallmarks of modern soul. It's got like a string section. It's got a harp. Um, it's got 
yeah, that hollow body guitar. His vocals are very, um, you know, I, I see that he's been influenced by Curtis Mayfield and, and you know, some of those kind of that era of soul singers. And, and that's obvious. He's got a great voice, beautiful voice. Um, I think um, the, the, the only thing that I'd say is that, I, you know, I've listened to it t- uh, three times. I think and I, it, there was nothing really that stuck with me, t- to mm. be honest. I didn't... Um, I found, and I didn't write it down because I'm an idiot, but there was like a track, um, maybe three or four tracks into It's a very short record, isn't it? It's like, I don't know. Well, are we calling it a record? I don't know. Well, you gave me shit for calling, for saying that it wasn't a record and you were like, get with it. It is a record. I think it is a record. I think the rules are these days that anything is a record. There's no such thing as EPs anymore, unless you specifically call album. it an EP. Album. Yeah, okay. album. Yeah. Yep. So he... Oh, where did I write this down? Like he um, he he brings in another artist. Um, I think it's three or four tracks in, like a, a collaborator who who MCs is like a rapper, and I found that really needed. It was like a really good change of um, sonic pace, and yeah. um, I think if it wasn't for that, it, the album would have washed over me a little bit. Um, I think. He is unda- he he's the sort of artist that I, w- I think I would really enjoy seeing that live. I love that sort of stuff. I think he's he's undoubtedly very kind of musical and very talented. I don't know, like you know, songwriting for me. I don't, at least in that many listens, it didn't really, it it didn't hook. I didn't I didn't hook onto it anywhere necessarily. But I thought it was um, it was quite you know, summary. Yeah, totally, totally. It's fair, and you know, beach may- vibes, beach vibes. It and could be on a, like a soundtrack to a, like a like a chilled out skateboarding video, like when they like after the like really cool skateboarders have come on. Now they're just skateboarding for fun. Yeah, or like footage of someone riding their bike in you know Brooklyn in summer, or do you know what I mean? Like yeah, something you go. you've just sold it to me. <laughs> slow slow motion cutbacks on a wave. Exactly, that's right. Yeah, it's just it's the end of summer. This album, sure. I, you know, and I think it does. It does have an aesthetic. It do, like it has a you know it it has it has a personality to it. It's not like it doesn't. Um, it, like it, I just think I think probably just the 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 songwriting. Um, yeah, like I say, it didn't didn't hook hook me much. But um, I think as a listen, it was very pleasant. Like just to go back, I think the track you're talking about is track two, and I think the feature artist is Kings. Is the Kings? Name. That's yeah. Why did I not write, write that down on somewhere else? Anyway, yeah, Kings. For me, having spent the best part of the, like a decade working in like the soul and funk genre, I think I'm reasonably well positioned to speak on what you'd probably call like this modern retro genre. Mm. Um, and like like the first thing that you always try and identify when trying to do an album in this space starts and begins with like the sound and the production. Um, and if you don't get that right, right from the word go, like it's, it's done before you even like 30 seconds in, you're going to know or not know. Um, and for what it's worth, like, I I think I give the production and the sound of this album a real, and the mix like a really big tick. Mm. Um, but it also sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole to see who's produced the album. And so there's some interesting facts. Um, the writer, he co-wrote it, I think, with and and produced it was um, Devin Abrams, and he was in the band Shapeshifter. 
um, which were quite a, a big band in the early 2000s um, or mid, well, was it early 2010s? Uh, yeah, 2010s. Anyway, um, look, they were one of the biggest New Zealand acts of the 21st century and, like, you know, they received numerous platinum and albums and singles, multiple number one um, tracks, um, and, and Abrams produced and wrote most of that band's work. So um, I'm just reading off um, his website, but he left the band in 2015 to focus on producing and writing with artists. And uh, his big work was New Zealand's band, the band called Drax Project. Does anyone know of them? Apparently they're quite big. I don't know them. Um, mm-hmm. uh, That's not They had much. a global hit in 2019 called Woke Up Late. Um, featuring US recording artist Haley Steinfeld. Uh, so he produced them. Uh, so alongside his production writing work, he's released a number of critically acclaimed albums under his solo project, Alias Pacific Heights, um, 2016 top 10 debut album, The Stillness, one best electronic album at the New Zealand Music Awards. Uh, and he's got a worldwide publishing deal with Universal. So look, you know, he's got Louis Baker's side teamed up with this guy. Um, who's got some runs on the board in that sort of, you know, modern pop sound genre. So, like, for me, like, like I thought that track one was had that really Aloe Black vibe, you know, and I think I've written here, some laid-back summer soul. Um, and so the you referenced Jordan Rakai before in the intro, Liz, um, and that, that it's very similar to what he would do. He's a London-based artist who's from Brisbane. Um, and I thought... Track two went off on that tangent uh, with the Kings. It had sort of that weekend Max Martin vibe, um, you know, nice glide synths in the intro and, you know, the, the Kings did the the rap in the middle, really tight production. I really liked track three. That was the start, the song that we played in the intro, which had that sort of, you know, bossa-style South American orchestrated breeziness. Um, so, like, I mean, as you said, Lisa, I don't think that there's any rules being broken on this album, but when things are really well done... You know, I felt this guy was sort of really quite well versed in his musical history and his training as a jazz muso. Mm. Um, sort of, you know, gave you could hear that coming through. So, like for yeah, for the, for me, this is one of the. I, I kind of like the whole album. Um, this is one of those albums that had that you know breezy summer afternoon or like even late night turn the lights down low vibe about it. Um, so, look, we talked about the length of it. Like short albums, long albums, it doesn't bother me as long as it feels like it's got a, like a beginning, middle and end for me and that if it, so it feels like there's something that ties it all together. Um, and I sort of feel like it didn't have this album and that's being a bit picky but um, I don't know. I just thought there were lots of interesting songs and there was a nice fusion of styles and his voice tied it all together. But I think it's a long-winded way of t- saying from me I wanted a bit more than what I got. So I would have liked another three or four songs. Yeah. Yeah. Maddie. Nice one. Um, <laughs> yeah. I thought, it, as you said, it was a great sounding album. And that's what took me when I listened to it. It sounds, the tones are really, really good. Um, and I, uh, being in the dark ages that I am, not listening to that much music at the moment because I'm, I'm busy doing emails and solving problems and um, <laughs> et cetera. We've all got uh, lives, Maddie. Ha- we've all got lives. I hadn't actually <laughs> heard of Louis Baker, um, so there I've been living under a rock, um, and I in- initially thought, "Oh wow, who's this um, soul singer from America?" And then you know, yeah. Google, and it's oh, New Zealand, right? Well, he's um, an independent so artist. I don't back. think he signed twenty-one. 
Sorry? I don't think he's signed. I think he's just an yeah, independent it's... artist. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's true. Th- he's had a previous release, though, I, b- I believe. I think he may have gone over to, to um, England to do something. Yeah, yeah, he did his first one with, um, as Liz said at the start, with Supergrass's producer, Maddie. Yeah, that's the one. Um, but I think they've all been independent. All the releases have been independently, independently released. But really good sound. Um, I, I felt it was like a, a foot in each camp, sort of more old school soul and more modern funk. Um, and I, I tend to... Uh, get more out personally of the, the modern funk stuff, sort of like Overdrive, uh, which really had a bit of a Jamiroquai vibe on the bass line there. Um, that was quite good. Uh, won't forget. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I like I like the vibe. I just thought it was a bit of foot in both camps and maybe he could have production-wise gone either way. Um, but overall enjoyable. What do you reckon it needed? Do you reckon – what did you reckon? Did it need more tracks, more – you thought it was just a bit too – um, it was pretty short. I, would, I don't know if it was an album, was it? It is an album, but it's not an album. It doesn't make any 17 minutes, 51 seconds. That's What's that, Liz? Um, 17 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty short. Um, whether or not and – th- and this is the thing. It's like do you, do you release a single? And, I mean, is – what is this? I mean – do you need to put a single out there and, and, and to give yourself traction and then release something like this? Um, I'm not sure if there has, if there were, if it, if it had been released previously as a single or this is just like the first bang, just drop it. I, I guess, um, I mean, you know, who who is it for me to say, man, but maybe if you're working with a producer like this, then, you know, there's a cost to that as well. Um, you know, maybe maybe that's... Maybe that's, you know, totally. I'm doing six songs with such and such and this is what's going to cost me and I don't know, Completely. I'm just speculating. And so he's not signed? Louis yeah, not that's signed. right. He would have had to self-finance yeah. it. Yeah. I feel like at this, I think the, like the the aim these days is more to, you know, content is king. So, you know, you have a bunch of songs that are, that are produced in the same sessions Um then you release it as a as a group of songs, but it's not. I don't think necessarily everyone is going for this. Is an album as a definitive statement of of a, a like a you know a, a a whole statement of art. I think it's there are still obviously, and we're going to talk about some of the records that that do this today. But it's like it's not. I don't think it's um necessarily everyone's intention to have a beginning and a middle and, and an end. Uh, it's just like here's this bunch of songs that this artist made with this producer, or here's this bunch of songs that this this artist is doing now, just to have it out, you know, and and be have it be present. Let's just release it, yeah. So you're yeah. saying this album wasn't made for our podcast? <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah, I'm just floating the idea that maybe not every album is made for you know us as the target audience in mind. I I mean, I might be wrong. I because I don't I don't think that for me and you know I guess I would have to listen to this again maybe a few times to to understand the arc of it if there is one, but mm. it, to me, it didn't feel like it really had a direction at any point um, either lyrically or musically, um, and that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just uh, you know what it what this um, kind of you know, bookend of bookended bit of art is, you know. 
And it's an interesting point because, I mean, do you need to release an album or do you just need to have one song that gets placed somewhere and gets stacks and stacks of listens? I mean, that, that's a really interesting point because that's where we're at now, I think, as an in, well, not as an industry, but as, as artists, you know, is the album relevant? I mean, you can go down a big rabbit hole. Or my personal um, viewpoint is that you, you do whatever you want these days. What, whatever your artistic intent is, whether that be a, a ten minute album, um, yeah. a, a, a sixty minute album, or singles, like as long as it's representing what you want to get out there, then that's that's relevant. I mean, because I, I I personally don't think that three more tracks like these tracks would have made that any better for me. Like. I I I think that it was um to be honest there was something in 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 its brevity <laughs> that was pleasing to me because it was like yeah. oh here's a thing um this guy is very very good at this thing and I don't think that more is necessarily more in in that sense you know it's like yeah. I'd rather listen to, to, as you pointed out um, a bit more rudely uh, <laughs> to me, was it's better it, – it is, it is better to have something that, that's really high quality and retains um, interest than to have something that, you know, in order to, you know, it's just all, you know, all killer, no filler kind of vibe as opposed yeah. to going, oh, shit, this is only 70 minutes long, let's put more on it, you know? Yeah. If, if this was a different bunch of songs, I, I may have been feeling like – um, I I wanted more, but I in this particular instance, I don't. Which is I think what it was saying was that if if it was going to be regarded as an album in the tr- traditional sense of the word, it needed more, not more of the same, but more some light and shade to to flesh it out a bit more and give it you know a bit more of a as I said beginning, middle, and end. Which no, to- yeah, I, totally. Yeah, um, look, I think we've fleshed this out. I reckon um, it's time to take it to. Um, the rating scale, and um, for this week to present the unofficial sponsor of the week, and I'm, I, I believe she may have spent more time on um, on this preparing for this than actually listening to the albums. I'm going to throw it to my co-host Liz Stringer. Liz, who's the unofficial sponsor? Sure. Well, um, look, I fucked up, and and I was more I was more sort of looking at your AFL than your Olympics for oh, this. It's fine. So, um, you know, I was inspired by the the intro. Do I read out the intro, was or do you? Mate, it's all for you. You go for it, mate. Okay, look. I, I well, I was inspired by the intro that was wrote, um, or ma- maybe Arik. Sorry, I think Arik. it's Arik. I'm, there we go, Arik. Um, I so. It says, you know, it's important to acknowledge the sponsor's important contribution as part of our personal life journey. So it doesn't have to be – it can be basically anything. And I, and I thought what's been part of my journey in the last year that's really, you know, made an impact um, and and in my opinion is is are the real unsung heroes of um, the experience of the pandemic being made easier for everyone. So – um, this the official sponsor, although I have no name for them because they necessarily remain um, anonymous, but the person slash people who control the the crowd track during crowdless AFL games. Oh my god! Yes, woo! 
Yeah. I just want to say big ups to them. Oh, my God. How do we even rate this? Oh, my God. So it's the guys who, like, put the cheering in after each goal. Is that right? Yes. Do you remember Do you remember the start of the when, – when everything first went to shit, the first AFL games that were, that were broadcast with no crowd? It was – it was I, eerie. Doesn't even cover it. It was there was something so just wrong. Yeah, it was like a suburban footy match that um, it was really wet and everyone went home and yeah, you just no hear the guys on there. the field. Yeah, and it's it was just depressing. Awful. It's depressing. It was it was it was viscerally uncomfortable somehow. I just couldn't. And so when they started putting in the fake crowd sound, I everyone I know who watches football regularly was like, "Thank you." Thank God for that. Because however weird it is that this crowd is literally just a track that somebody's moving a fader up and down, it is so much less weird than watching a completely crowdless AFL broadcast. Well, it's no differently as to like canned laughter and comedy shows, I guess. When you know, when you say joke and it might not be might be funny, might not be, but if you bring in the laughter, it's funny. It just oh it's just made the world of difference to for football watchers. Do you know what I've noticed? So you go, Maddie. No, I was just going to say, do you think there's an in-demand um, crowd sampler person? <laughs> I want, Well, this is... Like, I wonder. Because, I mean, honestly, it's gotten better. I mean, it's 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 not up to uh, not up to the, the lofty standards of my expectation yet. No, sure. It's gotten heaps better. Do you know what I've realised? That they um, the home team gets a bigger cheer yes. when they kick a goal? Have you noticed that? But this is, a, this is this is no. a fascinating thing. Sorry to cut you off there, was, but it's okay. like, you know, for example, um, do they factor in, like, let's look at yesterday's match, for example, 16th versus 17th, Adelaide versus Hawthorne, pointing into the season, no one gives a shit. Do yeah. they think to themselves, how many people realistically would be going to this game if the pandemic wasn't? So they just go through their little catalogue of and go, you know, I don't know, Amateur, Amateur Theatre. Amateur Theatre, um, yeah. 1972. <laughs> Some coughing yeah. in the yeah, background. Totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, but, uh, like, surely they must. Or or is it is it purely a volume thing where they just are riding the fader, um, you know, the higher and lower depending on who's playing? On, like, on, on, on so many levels, like, this is such an interesting thought. Like, you know, how many people would, from Adelaide, would come across the border yes. to watch an Adelaide Hawthorne match on a cold, wet day in Melbourne, probably not many. When so the ha- only thing up for grabs is the wooden spoon. It's yeah. I want it. I, I want that. Hey, spoon. if we're not going to be the very best, let's be the very worst. That's what I think. So okay, <laughs> look, I, I like this concept, Liz. Congratulations! I think you've come to the come to the party Thanks. and you presented us with a concept, which I never really like concepts, but uh, sure, it's a thing. It's a thought and it's a concept. Uh, how are we going to rate it? What are you What are you thinking? Well, I look. I thought about that and I thought it's it's pretty hard to rate. So, I d- I took a little bit of a sidestep, um, but I'm still on the broadcast. Uh, oh, okay. So is that allowed? On the bro- well, it's an element. It's a different element of of the broadcast of footy, but it's more. It's like something that we can rate a bit more as a like. I just think the sponsor should be those people. But then the scoring thing is um, another aspect of broadcasting. You could think of it like this, Liz. Yes. You could think of like if, say, like, you know, I've got the Bulldogs have kicked a goal to go up 
in the grand final with two minutes to go. Yeah. That could be... Is it a goal after the no, siren? that could be... Yeah. That that level could be 100 decibels. That could be 100 dB. Good. Let's but, do it. But Let's- if Adelaide kicked a point or, or no, they got a score review that was given a goal like two minutes after it went yeah. through on a wet, rainy day in Melbourne, maybe that might only be like 15 decibels. I okay. don't know. So, great. As the resident <laughs> decibel expert, Matt, what what would be – is 100 decibels like is that – that's pretty loud? That's hurting. That's, that's loud. loud. Okay, that's well, loud. let's do it. Let's do is, out of 100. Is that possible though? Is 100 decibels possible? Well, you hit a snare drum, that's anywhere from 90 to 110. So, you know. That's it. That's a close mic. So, like, if you've got, a, like, a cauldron at the MCG, well, like, I mean, what? how much could we get it to, do you reckon? I mean, we've got to be accurate with this. We can't just say 100. Like, it has to be accurate. Let's go 90. Let's go 90 decibels. I mean, let's... let's, let's Snare drum's not... 100, though, that's not... We can't get 90. Let's just go 100 just for scoring sake. (laughs) Thanks, Liz. Let's go 100. It's out of 100. 100 decibels is the top rated... Um, It's the top rated uh, unit of scale for this week. Okay, so let's rate this thing. All right. Maddie, what did you give it? Out of 100 decibels. I'm going to give it a 68 decibels, which is a loud conversation. Well, I mean, a loud conversation. Yeah, okay. Okay, so that's 6.8. That's not too bad. Um, Liz? I'm going to give it a 70 decibels, which would be like a mild moment of excitement on the wing, maybe. I hear that. I hear that. I um, um. I'm going to go the same. I'm going to go 70 decibels as well, which would be, yeah, someone nearly took a mark but got spoiled yeah. on the outer wing. But, you know, most of the crowd were on the other side, so it was a bit slightly dampened. But still, it yep. was a good effort. But still a swell, a swell. A, yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a swell. Um, <laughs> that's pretty good, actually, considering, you know, you didn't sort of – you liked it, but you didn't really like it. And I liked it more than you, but we, we landed on the same the same score. So that's um, – Six sixty-eight decibels from Matt Voigt, seventy decibels from Liz Stringer, and seventy decibels from me. And that was the first album, Louis Baker's "Love Levitates." Ladies and gentlemen, we just landed in Geneva. Yeah, that's in Switzerland. We're on the yacht. A young lady just fed me French vanilla ice cream. We all got our toes out, too. Call me when you get lost. I'm a travel the globe. You keep the block hot driver. Open the door for me. My hair hurt. Okay, so the second album we have for you is Tyler, the Creator's Call Me If You Get Lost. One of the more fascinating artistic evolutions since the late 2000s has been that of Tyler, the Creator, a.k.a. Tyler Oknama. Oh, what is it? Oconma. Um, he was raised in, born and raised in Los Angeles County, splitting time between Ladera Heights and nearby Hawthorne. He got his first taste of fame when the Los Angeles Times ran a teen on the street type story on the then 16-year-old skateboarding enthusiast who was also interested in music and fashion. The rapper and producer surfaced as the founding member of Odd Future, an outlandish alternative rap crew that gradually permeated the mainstream as it begat a multitude of related projects. High percentage of these recordings, including Earl Sweatshirts, Earl, Odd Futures, Yoef Tape, Volume 2, and Frank Ocean's Grammy-winning Channel Orange have been made with Tyler's deep involvement. 
As a solo artist, Tyler's output has swung from purposely distasteful and crude to charming and sophisticated, sometimes blurring the distinction between the extremes. His first four solo albums, namely Goblin, Wolf, Cherry Bomb and The Flower Boy, debuted within the top five of the Billboard 200, distinguished above all other unique qualities by his gravelly voice and a disposition befitting a crash repair owner. The widespread embrace of the kaleidoscopic Flower Boy, a number two hit nominated for a Grammy in the best in the category of best rap, rap album, has led to a pair of subsequent number one albums, uh, Igor, also Grammy nominated, and Call Me If You Get Lost, 2021, which we're looking at tonight. Um, his artistic styling um, reaffirms his devotion to hip hop with a raw lyrical approach. Uh, look, first things first, guys. Does it bug anyone that all the song titles are in capitals? No. Not at all. Oh, God. Okay, well. <laughs> he can yell. That's, the album's a bit yelly. I, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole trying to find out what the deal is with this and I came up with a bunch of Reddit threads and articles and the current consensus consensus is that all lowercase album titles is the current thing to do um so you need to refer to taylor swift's vocal album which is all all the titles are in lowercase although like this has always been really quite popular in french music um and and the theory is it seems to symbolize casualness um ariana grande also featured it as did billy eilish's debut album but the all-caps phenomenon seems to be more constrained to metal and hip-hop. So, like, think Kendrick Lamar's uh, album. And for some, apparently, this is supposed to be a sign of authenticness and authentic intent. Um, the artist Travis Scott is known to do lowercase and all-caps. Um, interestingly enough, the first documented case of an all-caps song came on the 1977 recording of the song the Throne of Thule by the Blue Oyster Cult. Um, in 2018, Distro Kid was the only aggregator that would allow you to capitalise on Spotify and TuneCore followed in 2019. So personally, I don't like the all taps, all caps titling. It doesn't really work for me. Um, but look, have you, Maddie, have you ever had, had this conversation in the studio around all caps I've titling? I never considered it. I did not know that there was... Uh a thing to caps or not to caps. Um, I, like I'm just wondering as the head of music at Box Hill, like like maybe there should be some consideration on or discussion on developing a course around like song we title grammar. We should do at least a 12-week course on uh, caps, um, maybe texting, Te- texting yep. in caps, uh, metadata now, I'm hold, in caps. I'm going to hold this up to the camera. I don't really think you can see it, but I've been on um, – I found um, some empirical data around the amount of songs that have been in all caps or underscore (laughs) for the last four years on Spotify. Now, I just need to – I got my glasses out here. Uh, There were were on average 18 songs in 2018. In 2019, there was 22 songs in the top 200. And in 2019 – no, 2020, there were f- over 40 songs that either had all caps or underscore. So there's a bit of a, an upwards trend going on with the all caps underscoring. Um, sorry about that, guys. Uh, I just, just thought it was a sort of rabbit hole that needed discussion. Sure. Anyway, <laughs> this... <laughs> It's interesting. It like, is interesting. No, it, it is. Just, well, what, bugs, what bugs you about it? 
What's that? What what bugs you about the caps? I don't know. I just don't like you know. I just don't like the look of it. Like it just feels like you're you being know, for someone at. who's sort of a little bit into grammar. I just I see it and it just doesn't feel right or doesn't look right, and I don't like it. That's really interesting because I I'm also really into grammar, and but I it, it I find it pleasing aesthetically. Really, mm. all caps. So what about all underscore? Would that be uh, all underscore? Like, I, I mean, sorry, not underscore. If it was all in um, lowercase, I think so that would bother case. me more. Really? Yeah. So artists like so hip hop. Maybe you could just like form a theory around you know music I like based on the the look of under undercase or all caps. caps maybe caps if, makes you know, it very official. I don't know, what about mixed mixed type like Skater Boy and things like that? Like you know with with you know mm-hmm. bit of everything. I don't no? know. Do you know what I think it? Because it looks cool. Because then when you have the feet in um you know featuring in brackets, it just gives it. It it delineates it, so it looks looks cooler. That's what I think. Wow. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, look. Or maybe we should talk about the album. So like, for <laughs> me, this was this was a funny, this was a funny one. Um, the dangers of doing um, pre prep on artists is some, sometimes like you can't escape seeing taglines like rap album of the year or album of the month. So like when I put this on, I got a few songs in. And I thought, nah, I'm calling BS on the hype. So. Which proved to me once again that going in cold before you do background prep is always the modus operandi that you have to follow. Um, and the reason I say that is because, like, I would have it would have taken me less listens to realize that this album actually is really, really good. Um, it just took a while to reveal itself, especially with the expectations that I'd sort of read about. The the first, I sort of you know you know you talk about like onions and onion layers of peeling it back and and getting into albums like this felt to me more like the onion didn't seem to work but like maybe a passion fruit would work better like it sort of had a tough exterior on the outside which you'd crack open because the first three songs I really found a bit eh, you know wasn't really doing it for me like uh, I think was uh, was was your name was the first hint of what was starting to come with like a flip on an early 90s R&B track. And I th- I guess that's probably the single because I think it has 42 million plays on Spotify. Um, Lumberjack track four hit with something like resembling Mad Villainy. My favourite track was definitely track five, Hot Wind Blows. I had this, that gorgeous flute sample and was sort of laid over a 50s jazz piano sample and a doo-wop vocal um, with a really great verse from Little Wayne. Um and then it sort of followed up with that bossa-flavoured intro of Massa before it dropped into some sort of heavy, minimal R&B. I loved Run It Up and the tracks. Um, uh, what else? I just got a lot of hearts on in my Spotify playlist on this album. So, look, I just I got the feeling that, like, this is a really proper album and what started out as something like a little head-scratching for me just turned into like a B-52 bomber, like just dropping bombs like all over the place. I love the Moog bass on Sweet and that had a really Frank Ocean vibe to it. Um, It's a pretty long album at 52 minutes, but to be honest, like once I sort of tuned into what was happening, I really, really liked this album. Um, I thought the sample palette was slick. I thought that sort of subtle psychedelic wonkiness that was going on through it gave it sort of that classic hip-hop mixtape vibe. And I just think I can see myself listening to this you know, again, you know, throughout the year. Uh, who wants to go next? You go, Matt. Thanks, Liz. Um, yeah, I thought it was really, really good album. Um, obviously, it's an awesome sounding album. Um, all the loops and the synths, um, you know, are quite pleasing. 
Um, really interesting that um, Tyler uses a lot of different orchestral instruments. Mm. And so obviously what there was an oboe or something in the, in the first track um, and then lots of string samples and all sorts of stuff. So it's, it's nice little splashes of colour there, which I really, really like. Was it an oboe or a clarinet, did you think? It could have been, yeah, I'm not sure. could have been a clarinet. Mm. Um, just played in a low register, or, you know. Um, yeah, really, really cool sounding. I mean, I, I can't follow the lyrics a lot, um, I, 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 just because I don't listen to a lot of hip-hop rap, so it's not my culture. Um, and so... I appreciate when he does a little bit of spoken word so I can sort of follow. So that's that that's good. And you'd think it'd be all the all the changes in music should be really disjointed and stuff, but it doesn't. It just seems like when something else comes in, um, it's actually it catches you straight away, it catches your interest and it holds your interest. So even though, you know, it was, you know, lots of changes, um, I still found it really interesting. Um quite heavy in parts too so really really heavy vibes um you know all lower slower sort of 80 90 bpm songs mainly um but you know not not heavy so that it's um hard to listen to but more heavy laid back so um yeah cracking album favorite Um, songs one to listen to sorry no favorite song at the moment so probably not enough listens to have a favorite so um needs more listens one, one mm. to definitely go into the um into the repertoire or into the the, into the cd stacker into the c into my cd stacker that's right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh awesome liz yeah i l- loved this i i listened to it um it's kind of like you the way i think that the, the way that you described it was it was true for for my experience with it too of um but the way into it like as opposed to sort of peeling it just suddenly opened up for me and that like the track that did that for me was Wilshire I, I like what's interesting about this record is that it is long but there's two kind of like almost 10 minute tracks and the rest are, 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 are you know two and a half yeah. three minutes and um so this Wilshire is one of the longer tracks, um, and I had really enjoyed. Like I was really sort of digging what I was hearing, but when I when I really sort of it was one of those tracks that really stopped me. I just found it so there was something so kind of open and um, and raw about it. Um, and he's like he's he's talking, he's, he's rapping about being in love with his friend's girlfriend, basically, and them yeah, having yeah, yeah. this amazing energy and you know kind of swings between going fuck it let's fuck him let's just do it and then going no I can't do that like it but it's so it's so vulnerable and real and it's just like him sort of on his own you know sort of ruminating on this very painful pull that that is happening inside him and I, I just found that once that that was activated for me I started finding so many moments in this record where he's very vulnerable and Mm. you know talking about um it, it kind of swings between having this like real big kind of bravado and like oh i'm on a yacht with hot chicks to like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know really moments of real um introspection and pain and um uh i really really 
I will definitely be listening to this. It was the album that I enjoyed by f- listening to by far and the of the ones that we're talking about and the one that I just got more and more and more out of. And I so my I also really loved um Hot Wind Blows. Uh, th- that that little Wayne verse was sick and like Yeah, wasn't it? So good and and just so the way that he used you know, I like the fact that he's that he's he's clearly like so collaborative, and that I just think that someone that's that open to all the people that he's worked with and that who work with him on his own stuff, I just think it's that's the sign for me of someone who has a, a like a balanced ego as an artist and is able to absorb and learn from other people. Um, mm. And I also really love Manifesto because I think there were moments in that too where he just sort of like. You know, like he's sort of talking about the pressures that that also come from being a black artist of being someone that needs to represent um, black people politically in art, and like you know how like the 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 you know the pull again the internal push and pull that he has with that as a as a black rapper, and you know like as a as a such a prolifically creative person, and I like I didn't know anything about him really and I like I read you know I read all that stuff about how all of the the controversy about his earlier lyrics and how you know yeah, they yeah. were very homophobic and and very you know mentioned rape a lot sort of very sexually violent and um I I've, that really surprised me because um you know being this being the record that I was introduced to him to because he he seems to be there seems to be a real maturity in in the way that he um, not only expresses himself, but the way that he processes what he's feeling, and I, like, I just found it really, like a yeah, really great, really, really great, and and kind of deep and wide album. Yeah, I think it's, that's that that's a really good word to use to describe it. It felt like a mature, really cohesive piece of work. Mm. Um, it's interesting you say like because Wilshire was a track that got you into it. That's the second last track on the album. Yeah. So it's probably actually quite like me because I'd sort of got, I was not liking it and then the more it developed and the more it sort of started seeping in, like you got to the end and it's like, oh, this is great, really good. Yeah. Which well, meant you sort like, of had to go back. Yeah, totally. It's like it unlocked another level for me, that track. It just accessed this other kind of stratosphere of um, uh, emotional intent or you know um content in the in the album because it is like it is sort of um I don't listen to heaps of um of rap music so I like I you know and also it's just there's it's very dense there's just a lot going on in in, mm. in my opinion like in 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 the stuff the sort of MCs that I enjoy listening to there's a lot going on so it's not like you, you do have to listen to it uh, like a few times like any kind of any good lyrical um, bit of art, I think. Like you've got to listen to it a few times to really grasp what's happening, and I think maybe because Wilshire is so, it's it's kind of slow and quite chill. His his um everything that he's um in the vocal is very is completely audible. Like nothing sort of nothing. There are no waves of track or anything coming over it. So it's it's so there's something really stark about it, and um that also just helped. It was just yeah another way into it, and as I said, I'd enjoyed it up. In, I was I guess I wasn't sure up until that point. I was like, oh, this is 
There are those little, it's like dolphins jumping out of the ocean. It's like there are little <laughs> dolphins of lines of lyrics where I was like, that was sick, but I, I, I haven't yet put it together. But that, um, that track in its entirety was like, oh, okay, I'm in now. I'm totally in, you know. I, th- I think that's the, also the secret of a, well, not the secret, but what a really good album does is always sort of, you know, slowly exposes itself mm. to you. Um, and that's what this one did. And yeah, I just, yeah, I found it really bizarre that it could go from something that I really didn't like to something at the end I knew I was going to like, and then I got to go back and listen to it. Uh, and as you said, it's like different songs open themselves up to you, you know, on second and third listens. Mm. So yeah, um, and also just to hear the the production and the the layering of samples oh, so like cool. to, to listen to an album with someone so on top of their game in in that that field is just it's such a privilege to listen to that I, I loved it me too and i also just want to add but that i think that's something that like the sample palette as you said was like to me so like interesting and and that the textures in it i really love i really like sonically was so pleasing for me and i think some of that new like that sort of trap hat stuff that we've spoken about before yeah. was there's stuff in there i just don't i don't enjoy listening to that as much so i don't the canvas for me is sort of already I'm a bit repelled by it. But this sort of stuff, I like I just really and even you know, if you if you the lyrics aside, yeah, like the 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 production on it is so interesting. There is so much going on and there's so many kind of moments of um uh what is that? The producer Chris Stringer that I worked with had a great he used to call it like whatever, like these moments that only happen once. It's not necessarily a full track, but it's like right. th- these these punctuations. He wasn't trading of on stuff. Yeah, he yeah. Wasn't trading on repetition. Yeah, just like so, so and uh, interesting and and so kind of like someone was driving the car who knew how to drive it, you know, and that yeah. like yeah. And on the flip side too, like there'd be songs that were just completely stark and really super minimal Mm. um, where it was just vocals and some really sort of dark sort of brooding synths and a beat. Um, So there's a lot of everything. Um, Let's rate it. Yeah. Let's rate it. Let's do it. Um, I'm going to say from from my point of view, someone has just come out and take – a specky yeah. <laughs> on the wing in in the premiership quarter, and it's just turned the tide. Um, and it's like it's a it's a it's a ninety two decibel yeah uh, level mark, like right on the outer, just and the the tide has turned. Yep, ninety two for me, Maddie. I'm going to go for a a, a Buddy Franklin um, on the halfback flank, jumping over. I can't remember which Essendon player yeah, it was. What a classic. Um, and kicking kicking a goal from the uh, edge of the fifty was it hooker? Um, was it hooker? Was it? No, that was maybe on the wing. Uh, so I'll I'll give it a ninety. Mm. I'm also going to go. I instantly just thought of the Buddy Franklin um, goal after the siren against Adelaide in the. Um, that was good. Yeah, that in the what what year was that? Two thousand and eight was it? The preliminary final. Uh, yes. No. 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 Two thousand and six. I think when he was a wee wee was, baron. It was our it was our first final win uh, in a long. That time. That was pretty exciting, right? Right on the boundary of on the you know yeah. from the from the from the fifty. Um, so was it in Adelaide or was it in uh, Melbourne? No, it was in uh, Melbourne. Okay, so it would have been loud. It was yeah. I, so that's a ninety-five <laughs> decibel from me. Whoa! I reckon this album is going is a strong consideration for album of the year uh, end of year honors. Uh, 
it's going to be interesting to see how this one sits. So, look, that's a um, a ninety. What did you give it, Matty? Ninety. A ninety from Matt. Yeah, 90, ninety decibels from Matt. Ninety-two from me with a hanger on the. I should. I've got to give examples next time. Ninety-two from me and a uh, buddy Franklin go off the siren. Ninety-five decibels from Liz. Uh, we'll be back with the next album in just a sec. Okay, the next album we're looking at is by Charlotte Day Wilson and it's called Alpha. Uh, So Canadian singer-songwriter and producer Charlotte Day Wilson is known for her atmospheric and textured blend of R&B, folk, electronic pop and soul. She emerged to acclaim in 2016 with the EP CDW featuring her SOCAN Prize-nominated work Song as a Canadian, uh, you know, person is, but what's SoCan, Liz? Can you tell us? SoCan is? is like the APRA of Canada, okay? Yeah, uh, thanks for that clarification. So, she, yeah, she had a prize nominated song called Work, uh, born in Toronto. Toronto, sorry. Wilson began playing piano at an early age and grew up listening to Motown and bluegrass. She went on to learn saxophone and guitar and eventually joined the funk and R&B group The Wayo while studying women's studies and music in Halifax, Nova Scotia. It was also during this period that she released her debut EP, ooh, Palimpsest, Palimpsest, okay, hmm. along with a handful of tracks including Avondale, Stephen and Montreal. Looking to focus on songwriting, Wilson left school and spent six months living in Montreal before returning to Toronto to intern at the Arts and Crafts label and perform with the Wayo. She taught herself how to produce music and went solo in 2016 with the EP CDW. Wilson collaborated with Bad Bad Not Good on their 70s-tinged single In Your Eyes. She also appeared on Daniel Caesar's 2017 single Transform. At the end of the year, she released her own track, Doubt, which paved the way for her third EP, 2018's Stone Woman. Wilson released her debut album, Alpha, on July 9th, 2021. Written and produced by Wilson, the album features a number of tracks co-written and produced with Toronto songwriter Jack Rochon, Jack Rowe. In addition to contributions from other Toronto acts like Daniel Caesar and Bad Bad Not Good, other producers include Retro Soul, Daptone, Luminary, Tommy Brennick, and R&B producer D-Mile in collaboration with Babyface. I feel like we've just um, really got you on tonight just to get some of that pronunciation (laughs) just right with Toronto and Nova... I don't even know. How would we say Nova Scotia? Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. Right. Oh, do you? Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. I mean, I think we just opened ourselves up to a whole new market tonight with this. Yep. Um, what do you reckon of it? Um, do you want me to... I'll go first. Yeah, uh, go for it. You go for it. I I was really impressed by the production on this album, and I think um, this is another one that I... when I, The first time I listened to it, I was just like, oh, whatever. You know, like I just didn't... <laughs> But the more I listen to it again, 
uh, and, and like a couple of times, and I I really I feel like okay, let's talk about her production first. I yeah, I don't production was insane. It was insane, and I don't know as far as I can get. I don't know who produced what track, but I but I'm going to assume that her production chops are front and center for most of the record. She is the producer, I think, yes. from going through Spotify. Exactly. So she co-produced a few tracks, but I just think you know what a talented. What a talented producer and musician, obviously. Um, in the same, in the my sort of the the only thing that I think I didn't sort of love or, or did that I just didn't get hooked again with the songs. I, there were songs on there that were amazing. I feel like she, but as a group of songs, I just didn't. I wasn't. I found it really um, interesting to listen to, and I also think that her voice is. I found her at her best vocally when she was kind of at her least self-conscious. Um, Agree. I feel like there's there is a bit of an affectation to her voice, which is maybe a little bit uncharitable. I mean, maybe that's just the way that she sings. But I, but I, as a you know, just as a listener, experience some of the stuff as just a, yeah, just a bit self-conscious and a bit. Kind of, tri- you know, was it a bit try hard? Did you think it, at times? That's exactly what I was going to say. It was just like, yeah. you know, just a little bit over, a bit of an overreach. Whereas I think when she was sitting back in this incredible instrument that she has and and, and allowing herself just to kind of sing, I, I found it a lot more moving. So I was sort mm. of, I feel like I was constantly through the album. I was sort of, I was, I was in and then I was out, and then I was in and then I was out, I was in and then I was out. And I, but yeah. I do. I think that as a as a particularly as a as a, as a production showcase, a, a really fucking good album, no doubt. Like from a mix, I think I've written notes here about the mix, um, and that I actually listened to this the second time with my neurophones on my you know the the ridiculous stupid headphones that with the you know the two headphones in one. Anyway. There was so much going on in the uh, subtly mm. on the mix in that mix profile on the edges. Um, there was a lot of like these really quiet pads that were sort of panning across. There was like verse uh, reverse vocal effects going on on her vocals that were just really decaying off really quickly, and it was just cool. Yeah, and I like, I was geeking out on that stuff. So mix wise, it was awesome. Sorry, I interrupted. Well, no, I think I, that's um, that's all I I had to say. I think that I. If I had only listened to it once, I I would have had a less. I think that it's it's an album that you have to step towards a bit, and maybe isn't um, as kind of because um, I feel like that that sort of de- that decay. Oh, I don't know what you call it, but that there is a sort of a, a bit of in the zeitgeist at the moment vocally to have that sort of. Um, petering out vibrato right on the end of the note, kind of. Do you, you know, you guys know what I mean when Maddie. I. Maddie, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, vibrato at the end of the note. That sounds good. I mean, yeah, but but, but, it, but do, you it, know, do you know? Do you know? Are you talking pardon? about an effect, a reverb, or a, a vocal technique? No, I'm talking about a vocal technique. Like I, this, yeah. this her vocal sound, her vocal um, chops to me sound a little bit like they've been sort of I've heard it before do you know what I mean but I only yep. felt that in the in the points where I felt she was kind of trying trying too much I think that her voice in itself is is an is an incredible instrument but I I just 
there it's it felt like it was maybe reaching to do something that it that um it didn't necessarily need to do for me so was there a particular uh, song that was trying too much or no, just the whole <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. No, the, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> and it's in the it's in that vocal delivery that I've heard that I and yeah. I can't name any other artists, but that that to me is is something that I'm hearing a lot at the moment. Um and I think um that sort of uh when I first heard that, it was like, Oh, it's just a record that where someone's doing this again. But mm. then on the second and third listens I was like, oh, okay, this is this is the production so rich, and you know, and I think she do, there are beautiful lyrical moments as well in there, like, um, but, um, yeah, I, I think that's all I that I was gonna say. I I really really enjoyed it though, and I think she's she's the sort of person that I would love to work with, or I think that she has clearly really great ideas and is deeply musical, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Look. I was really excited to get my hands on this because my experience with Charlotte Day Wilson it was obviously via the um, the Bad Bad Not Good album four, and the track's called In Your Eyes, and it's a beautiful song. Um, and she's got that sort of world weary. I've seen a few things in my life voice, but when you actually get on and look at Bad Bad Not Good play doing the Tiny Desk, she looks like she's like thirteen years old, and it's it's really a bit of a head. A head fuck um, with, with, when you see her sing, but it doesn't take anything away that she's just an amazing singer. Mm. Um, so, like, I've, I've always wanted to hear more. And so when the album sort of came out and I'm like, I'm really looking forward to listening to this, I, I thought it started with a lot of promise um, and that song that we played in the intro, Strangers, where she was just using her voice and, and harmonising and doing all yeah, that. Yeah, that's killer at so the start, wasn't it's it? It's so beautiful. It just builds, and, it, and as we talked about, there's a really subtle production going on in the background. Um, bad, Bad, Not Good featured on track two, which, you know, is was was good. It was a mid-tempo number. Um, track three, um, I can't remember what it's called. I'm going to look that up. But, like, I just thought that if was the... the if I could, that was the first missed opportunity, I thought. Um, uh, they kept it really dynamically neutral and it felt like the song had so much scope to explode into this sort of power, powerful epic, you know, with some big toms, but it stayed really contained. But, like, it almost could have gone down that sort of Rick Rubin Adele sort of hello route, like just really sort of epically give it some light and shade. And that was a bit of a metaphor for the whole album, mm. I thought. Um, like track four again was quite down tempo, but I was starting to get actually some Tracy Thorne comparisons from everything but the girl. I don't know if anyone picked up on that at all. Like I thought that, you know, there was a lot of similar similarities vocally. Um, Mountains was the other single, which is track five. And that had a bunch of writers on it. And I'm going to put my cynical hat on, but maybe that's why this, maybe that's why this one got, pushed as the single because it's got you know it's got all the writers on it and then you push the one with the writers mm. on it because you've got some people in to do it um the uh, the tremolo guitar on that song that was sitting to the left on the pan was just another example of really awesome mix work it was awesome um take care of you featuring what did i say was it just featuring who have you got the got the track list there maddie yeah, uh, Sid. Sid. I've written sad here. Sid. Um, sounded like the plug-in Alter Boy had been used on it. 
Um, but that was the song for me where I think you're talking before is when she wasn't trying to be self-conscious about what she was doing about writing a sort of epic sort of indie folk track like mm. that had that song had like like TLC R&B vibes and I just thought it worked so like the thing that I, the, the place that I got to with this album was that you would think with her voice and her past successes with you know bad bad not good and and an album sort of which is an album sort of indie jazz folk music would be like a no-brainer and would be a really good vehicle for her to smash it out of the park and her her voice is money, but the songs just themselves gave her nowhere to go. I thought, mm. and I was I, I surprisingly when when we hit the slightly more R and B tunes in "Take Care of You" and keep things um, keep moving, like um, things seem to work better. And I, you know, I, I sort of took myself back to that Tracy Thorne reference, um, and everything but the girl is sort of you know a chill out R and B dance electro group and then all of a sudden like oh well why would I be surprised that that wouldn't work that that actually has been proven to sell billions of squillions of dollars in the down down, down tempo dance music world so that I don't know that, that felt more natural to me um so for me yeah it was close but no cigar which was disappointing because I, I'd really set myself up to love this album a lot and I just thought uh, just some missed opportunities yeah mm. Maybe. interesting um, yeah, I, I thought that um, obviously the production is really, really good and there's lots of things going on and in headphones, there's things panning and, and some really interesting sounds um, and she's got an amazing voice. So um, gave it a couple of listens. Um, I, I felt that uh, I wasn't there wasn't enough top line in the album for me. There wasn't enough vocal range or difference or light and shade. So, I mean, you had it in If I Could, you know, that was really the first track that really um, that had a bit of dynamic and a bit of change and, and it really sort of satisfied my need for a chorus. Um, and as you said, was, I mean, you could have taken that anywhere, you could have made it a lot bigger. Um, and my next favourite song probably would have been Take Care of You, which uh, is the featuring the Sid again because it, mm. it had that difference to it and I was really craving mm. that something different um and because I, I felt it was all just beautiful but not where did not it go light and shade for yeah me. so yeah could have could have just had a bit more um vocal range and that's why i was in, interested to know um liz what songs you felt like she was overdoing it like it, it if she was trying too hard, as in trying a different vocal range, or no? Sorry, what I what I mean is, it, there's like a it's a vocal affect that is used a lot. I, I'm not explaining myself well. Um, I wish I could even just kind of give you an example of like sing it, but I don't I don't know that I can. Where it's just a style of singing. Yeah. Um, and I think. Where where she doesn't use that affect as much, I found that more. I found that the that the affect for me, the affect kind of shut off the line between me and and her as an artist and a listener. Yeah, because you could hear it and go, "Oh, that's she's, she's doing, doing that thing." thing. It's yeah. like that, you know. That there are a couple of lines where that doesn't happen, for example, and I, and I was I was sort of like, "Oh, that's 
there's something so it's pure, trying, pure and honest about her voice anyway, I think. Yeah. But mm. it's like she's sort of, it's sort of like to me almost trying to be this sort of R&B thing um, where, whereas uh, what makes her voice interesting for me isn't that. It's, it's her, it, what it is, if that makes sense. It's just her tone. Yeah. Like some people just have a tone to their voice. She has a great tone and a, and a great, like a great phrasing, great delivery. And I think that um, I found the same thing. Sorry, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sort of interrupting you, Matt, but not, but I'm just agreeing with you. I, I found that that, like, it's interesting when you go, well, that's clearly a choice. Like the fact that they didn't, the fact that she didn't take, um, if I could to a different place, that's a, that's a choice. That's an artistic choice. And the, the idea that it's like, and I guess that we're just, you know, we're just reviewing what we think, what our reaction is to that choice, but it's, I don't know. It's just that it it just sort of makes the the reviewing of anything or so interesting, doesn't it? Because you go, well, what 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 was the intention? The intention was yeah. clearly for me to make a record that was very, and that comparison to um, everything but the girl is that what the name is yeah, good because yeah. that yeah. that delivery was like deliberately monotone in its in its emotional range. Yeah, it's so neutral, yeah, wasn't it? So neutral, so. Anyway, Matt, sorry, back to you, mate. But it's just, yeah, interesting no, no. point. And obviously that was the desired um, aesthetic is yeah. to really keep it really subtle and that, you know, it's it's that grower album that you listen to it for the fifth time and then there's just so much there. Um, it might not be your, your top ten smash hit, top of the pops, but it's one of those um, I'll listen to it for the rest of my life albums. Yeah, but as like as, as artists, I think we and you know people who work, you know, have have had experience in the production field. We all think of like, how do we make these songs? Well, I mean, it's all you know, our own personal preference of what we want. But I think the overarching sort of thoughts are that that she did she could have done a lot more with these songs if she mm. wanted to like and and what was the reason that led her to just keep it neutral i, I don't know it's sort of well and that's it's, it's and that's much. why i come back to this like the thing that i that i think i didn't connect with is that it, it's different if like for me um very subjectively it's different if someone goes this is an artistic choice that i'm making because this is who i am as an artist and but for me you know, my interpretation is, and I could be completely wrong because I have no idea what her intention was, but um, it's like what made it distracting or what took me away from the really good parts of her as an artist, I think, is this is this want to to be something, to be a certain thing. Do you know, do you, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Instead of being natural instead of, with just yeah. being natural, she's actually tried to put a aesthetic over the whole thing, which possibly hasn't worked because totally. she's tried to do this. Yeah. And I'd be interested to, again, she's the sort of artist that I'd be re- really interested to see live or without without this, the, the, the kind of, again, like the canvas of that amazing production um, to see where she just naturally goes as a singer, hmm. um, and as a as a as a performer, yeah. For me, it was it was that that 
the fact that it was sort of deliberately contained because that's what they were going for almost just made it like, you know, just um, made it a bit of a dead end for me. On the flip side, this is her debut album um, and writing albums is hard and doing first yep. songs, you know, it's it's – you know, it's not like she's four or five albums in. So, I mean, well, totally, totally, and that's that's. I mean, the exciting thing is that she's able to be at this level of she has this much at her her um, disposal. Dispose, I wanted to say exposure. That's wrong. Disposal <laughs> already. You know, and I mean, God, yes, you're totally right. We're not talking about an an artist who's now six albums deep going. This is what I'm doing. It's like this is the first offering, and I think yeah. that does make a difference. I think that context is important when you're looking at at records. I think it's just a over. Um, there's a there's an air of frustration from all three of us. Mm. That it, it could have been better mm. with what's there. And and she may have had these songs for a long, long time and not wanted to overdo them, and and they've been something for her for a long exactly, time, yeah. and then just been like stop making excuses for her, Maddie. It. Yeah, and I wonder what um, if she had different sounding boards or how many different iterations of the song she had. Um, but yeah, I, I felt there could have been. I w- would have wanted to hear more uh, vocally and um, sort of just just top line frequency, you know, other little hooks and melodies that really didn't come in. I feel like we've just sat in a triangle and handballed the footy to each yeah. other for half an hour and it's just going round and round in circles yeah, now. I think we've made our Let's point. take it to the rating scale. Okay, what have what we given it? I, I oh. think I was going to – it's like four goals um, behind, uh, one minute to go, Bruce kicks a goal and there's just some mild cheering, um, 62 decibel. Light cheering, okay. 62. That's pretty good still. Um, I'm, I'm going to go next. I'm going to say that this, the, the dogs kicked the first goal of the game against the Saints and they, they put it up to like 75 decibels, but then Carlton proceeds to kick the next four <laughs> goals or five goals in a row. And we're just sort of, no one knows what to make of it. And so the sound guys is just sort of like sitting straight in the middle on a five, 50 decibels and just go, well, I could go up or down. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to sit. At fifty decibels for the rest of the game. At fifty, interesting. Fifty, I mean, it could be more. It could be better than that. But like, I think the as I said, the I'm disappointed. I wanted more, and the album, whilst pretty, just didn't go anywhere. Mm. Really. Yeah. 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 I. I mean, so I'm gonna go, just like a nice solid. Grant Birchall mark in the halfback. Line. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's good, but it's not. There's nothing unexpected it's nothing, about it. Nothing happened. Yeah. Um. So, but I still, I can't remember what my analogy was for the Louis Baker record. I think I still, definitely production wise, and as far I think that I sort of enjoyed this. Comparing it to the Louis Baker record, I think I enjoyed it a bit more than that. So, wow. Okay. I'm going to say a 72 decibel. Right. So that's a, a 50 decibel. A, a 70 mark. decibel, yeah, and a 72. That's really good. Um, that was Charlotte Day Wilson's album, Alpha.
Okay, so the last album we have for you this week is Inhalers, It Won't Always Be Like This. Uh, Inhaler are an Irish rock band originating from Dublin, Ireland, originally formed in 2012 at St Andrews College in Black Rock, Dublin. The band only decided on the name Inhaler in 2015. Uh, the band consists of vocalist, guitarist Elijah Houston, bassist Robert Keating, guitarist Josh Jenkinson and drummer Ryan McMahon. Good Irish Celtic Anglo band sounding names. Um, the band were tipped for success in 2020 when they were ranked at number five in BBC's Sound of Music Poll. Uh, Inhaler have released nine singles. Hey, that harks back to what we're talking about, just releasing singles. Um, their debut album, It Won't Always Be Like This, was released on the 9th of July. It entered the Irish album charts at number one. It also entered the top 10 and top 20 album charts in other European countries, such as the Netherlands and Germany. It entered the UK charts at number one. So, fun fact about this band is that lead singer Elijah Houston is the son of U2 frontman Bono. And the story goes that apparently in the beginning, Bono wasn't a big fan of his son wanting to play music in a band, wanted him to go to university like any good dad should. And maybe there's only one room, there's only room for one rock star in any family. Maybe that's the thing. I don't know. I always find that I, when I sit around the dinner table at night, like, you know, I sort of say to my son, I am the rock star and you are, you know, the student. That's that's how we work. Um, Matty Voigt bought this album to the party this week. So if you don't like it, you can blame him. Matty, what did you think of it? Okay, so um, when I was first asked to come and join the show and do a bit of an album review, um, I was listening to, or I was, I was in the, on the website Album of the Year and I was just listening to a whole lot of different recent releases. Um, some of the ones were already there that you guys had chosen and uh, the two that really stood out to me were um, The Warflower's Exit Wounds and uh, of course Inhaler, It Won't Always Be Like This. And so Inhaler it was and uh, I thought it was really good. Um, classic English pop rock um, some really good en- energy. I'd imagine they'd be quite a good, fun band to see live. Um, initially, I did not know that uh, Elijah was the son of Bono. Uh, I found that out later. Uh, and then, you know, listening, listening, I kind of felt like there was that U2 influence and Arctic Monkeys and, and stuff like that. And I felt you could really hear um, Elijah's dad's voice sort of come through him. In his tone, in uh, I think it was uh, my honest face, and uh, maybe the bridge section of Slide Out the Window. Um, I thought you know that tone really came through. Um, but he has got his own style, even though he's got a little bit of his dad's voice. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was quite good. I think it appeals to uh, a younger audience. Um, I reckon it'll be the soundtrack for a lot of young people's lives, um, and. Uh, overall, it was a pretty good album. Okay. Well, I might go next, Liz, if that's okay yep. with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm going to play Guilty Pleasure on this. Like, I, I love this intro song. Like, I just thought it was equal parts as you, uh, U2, as you said, buddy. U2, The Killers, The Editors. Uh, uh, so, what's the scene called? Is it like post-New Wave? Like, Arctic Monkeys and Interpol? I don't know what the scene is. Um... I mean, like, the songs feel good, like, you know, with a capital F and G. Like, 
makes me feel like, you know, I'm at the old front bar at the SP on a Friday night at like one o'clock in the morning and just like, I'm just pissed and just hands in the air and, and that bass sound, man, like it felt like, you know, Fender P with fresh strings playing through an Ampeg fridge, bit of overdrive. I'm like, take me back. Um, so like I played that song and then I put it on repeat like twice. I'm just like, yes, I love this. This is so good. Um, like track two's like straight out of the same playbook, you know, Interpol, the editors, like did like that Tom break variation in the verse, kept it a bit interesting. And, you know, I just thought like Elijah had like just enough curl of the lip with the, you know, with the vocal delivery to pull it off. And so, like, I'm not going to do a track by track, but yeah, I think um, track three was that slide out the window. Did you say the the Bono com, com, the Bono comparisons on that? Like that chorus was uncannily like his dad. Um, thing is, the most most of this band's fans will be young kids, as you said, who probably have no idea who U2 is, and which is kind of bizarre and funny and cool and wrong all at the same time. <laughs> so, like, I mean, obviously, there's, there's a really big pop element here with these songs they all build and then they resolve in this sort of major joyous way and that makes you feel a bit happy maybe others not so happy i don't know we'll see but like even if it is a bit predictable on sasharine i mean like they're 21 i mean i just think they've done their homework you know everything's in its right place you know they've got the angular stabby two guitar attack bass is holding it down it's a bit funky and bouncy it's got a bit of the hip shake in it um the album sounds good you know, guitars up, vocal mix up. Maddie, ready for radio? Um, that's it. Work up one DB. Let's have like five different mixes. The album will up all up one DB, and we'll get it right. Um, I just think that unless they do something majorly shit, these guys are going to be smashing festivals globally post COVID or post Freedom Day in the UK <laughs> for like the next couple of years. Um, I just the one thing that was sort of weird to me was I just. It feels so weird to be of an age when you're seeing, like, the third wave of these kind of bands coming through. So, like, you know, obviously you have the, you know, post-wave of Joy Division and you 2 would sort of come on the back of that. And then you had the next phase with, you know, the Arctic Monkeys and the Killers and Interpol. And now we're getting the third wave. And, like, I've seen it all and it just feels kind of weird. But something nice about hearing the son of one... Yeah, I'm old. It's it's That's what I'm trying to say. Um <laughs> I just thought there's something nice about hearing the sound of one of the biggest bands of our generation studying out in music and, you know, with that sort of youthful rock and roll, can save the world swagger. Um, you know, it's not in- incredible. It's not amazing. But, like, it's 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 fun and a guilty pleasure. Um, that song, It Won't Always Be Like This, was that type of guilty pleasure rock song I needed this week. Um, it was a bit nostalgic and it made me smile. So that's my take. Liz, what did you think of it? Uh, are they actually 21? Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I'll temper. That shouldn't I'll change t- anything, I'll though. temper my comments <laughs> no, a bit. No, no, no. Don't temper it. I didn't enjoy this. I didn't enjoy it. I, I just, something about it made me a bit angry. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> How so? Um. Well, firstly... Was it the vibrato on the end of his voice? Was it? <laughs> I was very surprised that this sort of like, I mean, straight away I had the same, like it sounded a lot like the Killers. It reminded me a lot of Franz Ferdinand, like that sort of. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
very um fairly derivative um in in the vocal delivery too it's funny i didn't i i heard more of whoever the the Franz Ferdinand and the Killers singers are than Bono. Yeah, yeah. What's his name? Flowers. What's his name? Bra- Brandon. Just, Justin Flowers. Brendan Flowers. That's it. Yeah, I, and I think I didn't. I, I just think I like. I was I I was running listening listening to this this morning, and oh, I couldn't. It's a great running album. It it is actually, but I I just kind of found myself, you know, like. Roll, like rolling my eyes at, at the the lyrics, like I just I, I I just didn't. It just seems to me a little bit like okay, this is your first album. Yeah. Um. It just it or it just seemed like such a to me. I I, I didn't feel like there was any particular personality as a band or any any sort of anything that set them apart. For, for me from anything else that sounds like that and also you know the lyric in um what's the song called um my king will be kind when he when he sort of says i hate okay. that bitch i just to me it's just like there were well it's i i mean it's I'm, lazy I'm, lazy songwriting it's lazy and it and it to me there is a, there is a, uh, you know, I think to be, you know, to be honest. Maybe he's talking about his mum. Well, you know, for a second I was like, maybe, maybe to be really <laughs> charitable, he's talking about depression or, and it's like, no, he's not. I, and there's another, <laughs> there's another line where he says that, that this song about like that, I can't remember which one it is. Um, which one is it when he's talking about, um, I, you know, we don't, we don't get on. Um, we don't, we, we, we can't connect, but I can't, you know, I can't let you go. And he sort of says, he says something like, you know, I think you're a dreamer and you think that I'm something like, you know, um, self-obsessed and, and vain. And I was like, yeah, that's sort of the vibe that I'm getting too from this whole (laughs) album. I just think I'm, I'm, I am certainly not the target audience. I don't, I don't find it. This album wasn't made for you or me. It's not, but you know, interestingly, as as a as a as a woman, and also a woman in the industry, hmm. there's something that I find a bit too easy about it. You know that it's like if you guys can produce stuff, um, that I mean, and there, are, you, you know, you you think about some of the brilliant first albums that have been made. You know, I what I think is that maybe these guys could have benefited from, and nobody does this anymore because they just pump pump stuff out no matter what stage it's at but you know is maybe a bit more development and I think I think that there's something you know it is sort of fist pumping it's very it's sort of unoffensive apart from that that inoffensive apart from that I hate that bitch thing which is just fucking it's lazy it it is offensive it's not you know you think about the use of the word bitch you, you think about you think about you know the the just the etymology and the use in pop popular culture, and it's just a it's a it's a lazy and in my in my opinion an arrogant choice of lyric, um and yeah. entitled yeah entitled and I, I and I think that's sort of I think that no doubt he's a brilliant singer. I didn't think there was any anything particularly in any of the instrumentation that I found to be there's no you know obvious obviously prodigious talent as far as the rest of the band 
went. Like no. there was a lot of that sort of, you know, what do you call it? The, 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 the pentatonic scale solo stuff. And, you know, it's the sort of stuff that you play when you're 20 in your garage. Yeah. And and I think what I... I think that was my... That's why I said SP Front Bar on a, on a What's the Name Night. Right. This is what, it's a pub band. Yeah, it's a pub band, but it's also... It, yeah, it, it didn't... I, I think that's too generous. <laughs> I, I just don't think... And I am, I'm like seriously trying to pinpoint what it is that, 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 that I, that I find that really sort of makes my blood boil a little bit. And I just think that it's, I just think that it's, um, I think the fact that his dad is Bono has a, has a lot to do with it. And, and I think that, um, this band might be a really great band in two albums. They might, if they just, it's just that thing of like, people are just sort of, it's like, Where's the development of the of the craft? You know, like where's the development of the songwriting? Um, for me, the, these other albums that we have spoken about tonight, what what sets this one apart for me is that all of these other albums, even though I didn't, I wasn't like a, 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 a you know, um, I don't know how much time I'll spend with the um, the other two albums, the Charlotte Day Wilson and the Louis Baker ones, but in both of those. In both of those um, examples, and Charlotte Day Wilson, because this is her first record, and for all intents and purposes, Louis Baker, that's his first record, really, too, isn't it? Yeah. Aside from, uh, yeah, oh no, I think he's had, well, yeah, but it's, yeah, he's it's EPs and yeah, this may be. Yep. There's a to me, there feels like a and a um, there's a yeah, there's a skill gap. There's a and there's a um, maybe that's like. Maybe that do, it, it doesn't matter, obviously, but I, I think to me, I didn't, at least in those other two cases, I'm like, I can see so much potential mm. and and there's so much to grab onto into these records that would make me want to follow what they do next. But So do you think that's an age thing, Liz? Like, I mean, I'm looking at Charlotte Day Wilson. She's 28 years old. Uh, Louis Baker's like in his like 20s or early 30s. Um, yeah, but then you look at well, Astral Weeks, don't you? And you just go, well, okay. you know, is it an age thing? I, I think it's a, I think it's a, um, it just, to, you know what? I guess maybe to me it just smacks of people that aren't particularly taking it that seriously, but kind of just get a break because they're good looking boys, you know? Maybe. So what do you reckon? The re- so they've gone to number one in lots of different countries. So obviously it's connecting It's connecting with people, but is that on the back of a heap of record company money that's been pumped into a marketing campaign, the fact that he's got a backstory? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, like, I mean, like for, for me, like I, I don't think I'm a you – know, I think I'm relatively okay. Like I've – look, uh, the lyrics aside, which I always profess to not being great with, you know, listening to um, line after line of lyrics. That's not what does it for me. It's the the music, um, and you know, I'd, it, yeah. It's, sorry, I interrupted. Keep going. Look, I don't, I don't think that, um, I don't think that that's, that that it's it's terrible. It's not like mm. shit music at all. I just like. I don't um I just you know if I if I'd listened to this and didn't know well in fact I don't think I did know that they had number ones everywhere but if I you know that to me is surprising but also mm. maybe it is just a generational maybe I'm just an old fuck who just thinks that 
music was better when the when people like Franz Ferdinand and the Killers were making this sort of music than so than this. So you're a fan is. of those bands? No, um, no, not necessarily. But I, I mean, not an active fan. But I think I, I look at that. I look at the songs that this stuff reminded me of, and go. Mm. That just has so much more meat on its bones for some reason. I didn't. I, I also didn't particularly like the production on this. I thought. I thought I didn't like the bass sound. I. <laughs> I didn't. It. Yeah. It was too. It, there was too much top line for me. Um, yeah. It was too triple M. And I think I, I totally. It's exactly what it was. I, there you I go. Just, that's, you've called it. You've identified it. I, yeah. I guess that's what I. You know. Again, I give them a massive pass because they're only fucking 20 years old. That's huge. But I also think, um, and this is not there, this is a greater societal issue, but, um, you know, it's, it's, people are very quick, I think, to just be like, let's fucking get it out, get it out, get it out. And let's not look at, um, the fact that I think a lot of the songs were underwritten. I think a lot of the mm. I think a lot of the production was sort of paint by numbers. Like I, I don't, you know, it just feels like let's let's capitalize on whatever's going on and let's just fucking put this shit out. And and I just think clearly they they can yeah. play. You know, they they can. I don't. If that really is the best they can do, I don't know how much of a great live band they would be. To be honest, maybe they maybe they are awesome. And I think that's going to be the big test, isn't it? Like. I, I want to be proved wrong about this. I, I don't like sort of not liking stuff, you know, but I, mm. I just, to me, there's just there's sort of nothing to grab onto like like these other two debut offerings have yeah. in spades. You know, to me, it does smack of opportunism at this point and not necessarily the band's opportunism, but whoever's, whoever, which, whatever label they're on or whatever team they have of mm. just going, um, in you know, my opinion would be if I if I had the if I had the band's longevity at at heart, I'd be like let's let's just spend six months writing songs, getting getting you know, getting really tight as a band. I know that they've been together for a while, but you know, development. I think that this that's what this whole project to me lacks is development, and I don't. I don't think that it should be good enough to just be like, well, it sounds a lot like this band. It's like, well, that's good. But those bands that you sound like didn't really sound like they they also managed to bring through the development of their own art, their own voice, something else to the table, you know. And I think so it's not maybe that I'm not 100% criticising the band for this. I I just don't think... That if no, I don't. Mm. I, yes, it, it's the machine. It's the cynicism. I think it's the cynicism of going, and that people are connecting with it. Is I mean, I don't. That's not. I don't know. I, that I, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's a good hooky. That first song, like, it's a good hooky song. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, how good? How good would the songs be? And how good would this as, as a project be if they actually? pumped a bit of the funds into developing these kids as a band, you know? That's it. That's it. It's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, look at me. It's, it's interesting. Yes. Yeah, 100 <laughs> decibels of anger. Yes. <laughs> of shouting. Um, look, I mean, something <laughs> we've talked about basically for a year and a half now is where rock music is in the zeitgeist and where it is um, in general in and how, you know, sort of hip-hop and R&B are the – the major players in music and sort of, you know, we reviewed an album by Foo Fighters, which was just dad triple M rock. Mm. We reviewed something by a band called Manchester Orchestra, which was the same. And it was only like a couple of episodes ago we had the Sleater Kinney album, which is also out on your label, Liz, mm. I believe, and um, and Wolf Alice. And it's like, oh, my God, we, it's, we've searched so long to find something that's relevant in this world. And so... It's sort of just interesting to see where everything is in this world and what's popular, what's not popular, what's, you know, how rock, and as Maddie talked about the machine, how the machine is dealing with not having mass market share anymore and and how do we get this type of music back in and sell records mm. and is it by bands like Inhaler? Well... Liz says no. Well, maybe actually that's maybe that you've helped to pinpoint for where some of this clear emotion is is coming from is that I th- I think that um the fact that that sort of guitar bands quote unquote have have been not having their time recently is absolutely well, true and I time. and I think that it's I think that it's fucking fair enough that other <laughs> Other <laughs> types of music get their thing, but it's like if you're gonna, I don't know, like just give it more care, like make the guitars sound better. Uh, you know, maybe that's like a, I mean, that is a personal thing, obviously, but I guess it's like if this is if this is a push to renew interest in in this sort of rock and roll, for want of a better term, then that that. Then they're fucked. I just think it's an own goal. I I, I don't think yeah. that anyone that really um, wants to listen to great guitar music is going to listen to these guys longer than two repeats, as you said. Yeah, maybe Once. not. Maybe not. But maybe that's not the market. And it's not maybe the it's, point. Exactly. So yeah. I just have to shut up about it. No, Deal no, no with it's it. okay. You're allowed to have have a thought about <laughs> it and that's fine. But, like, it's – um, I think this is it's music made for – um. Late teens and early twenties, like you yeah, know, totally, totally, guys and guys, and and it's they want to go to Glasgow or Reading and just see, just put their hands in the air and take some, take some, you know, take a whole bunch of, you know, whatever, whatever you take at festivals and just you know, love it, love life, and this is this is this could be the soundtrack to that. Do you know, I just think, well, I just, on that, like, I just think that it's me going, they don't make shit that out of quality materials anymore. That's what I'm saying, you know. Right. I, and that's what I'm, what makes me sad and what I'm lamenting. And I'm pouring all of that sadness <laughs> and grief onto this poor quartet of barely pubescent boys. Yeah. So that's <laughs> not fair. Well, I mean, any iteration, like, I mean, this is the third iteration of a, of a genre. And it's obviously, you know, as you, you go from the source and then obviously it gets watered down. Yeah, so like, totally. it's not unexpected that that would happen. Totally. All right. Well, I mean, do you want to talk about it for another 15 minutes no, or so? No, no. Let's we go, just score this. Score it. <laughs> score this shit. All right. Um, look, 
I probably didn't go as deep down the rabbit hole as you did, Liz, on this. So uh, I just think, but when you did say Triple M, like the light bulb went off. Yes, this is going to be played on Triple M for the next 20 years mm. now. Um, so I don't know. Did I like it more than I? It's all about expectations and managing expectations sometimes. So I was very disappointed with the Charlotte Day Wilson album. I wanted more. I had no preconceived ideas or thoughts about this. Um, what am I trying to say? I think I'm going to say um, 60 decibels. Like it's like it's a solid win. It's a solid win over a team that we know we should beat and we've just come home and won by eight goals kicking away in the last quarter and the crowd are into it but not really into it. You know, they're just like, well, they expected that. So, what did you, what did you give Charlotte Day Wilson, sorry? I gave it a 50 decibels. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> you think so much less of me now. <laughs> um, that's just what it is. That's what it is. Ne- next week could have been different. But I just wanted, we're in lockdown and I just wanted a song that I, when I drove to work and I listened to it and I played it three times and I didn't play any of the Charlotte Day Wilson songs three times in a row. Well, that's that's why the, the, the magical, um, you know, variety of human experience, isn't it? It's all about experience yeah. and it got me at the right time on the right day totally. and I've got to reward it for that. All music is good. <laughs> Matty. Yeah, so similar to your review was, um, it was a top four side having a solid win over a, a bottom four side by 50 points, um, giving it a, a cheer of around yeah. 62 decibels. You bought a jam donut after the game and you sort of went home a bit happier than you, you went, but not much happier. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, my, I feel like mine, mine sort of decibel-wise is the equivalent of like a um, like a um, Robbie Gray or like Travis Boak or something kicking a really spectacular goal at an away game and like mm-hmm. celebrating like a legend <laughs> and it just being basically complete silence. Or um, everyone boos. I'd oh, actually no boos. No, complete no. Size. no one's at the ground. Well, anything. Yeah. So, yeah. Like a. I'm going to give it a f- uh, still a forty, which is the lowest. And I just want to say, I'm sorry to be so mean to these boys, but I blame, I blame modern culture more than them. Maybe it was the four guys on the bench who were clapping that yeah. could have just registered forty decibels. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh. I think it's fine. I mean, you argued it well, and I think any other day I may have been where you are right now, Liz. I well, mean, this is the thing. What, what you know, it it has so much to do with, and this is the, this is the awesome thing about art is like where the way that you process it, mm. it exists in in a in a in that form, and then it exists in the in the communal form, and then it exists in you. And there's so many like channels that you have to go through to to have a feeling about it. So it's like you know, I, clearly they just got me in a at a kind of moment where I was lamenting um, <laughs> the future, the future of, of music uh, in of, general of culture and art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel like we should have reviewed this album first. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all I music's have, good, though. I might have to do some editing. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that was a, a four from Liz, a six from me. And what did you give it, Matty? 6.2. 65. That's solid. That's, that's a good solid mark. Well, 
It is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. And um, well, maybe it'll be something different next week. Um, it's on that note that we've come to the end of this week's episode. First off, can I say a really big thanks to Matt Voigt for drawing the short straw as our guest reviewer tonight. Um, Liz. Yeah. Can I say an even bigger thank you to you? You drew an even shorter straw than Maddie this week. <laughs> so I want to say thank you so much for stepping to Rx Small Shoes, showing him how it's done. Um, <laughs> look, obviously heaps of dates coming up. So I'm sure everyone's waited around for this whole episode to just hear you sort of reel off any sort of thing that you've got coming I'm up sure in the next have. couple of weeks. Uh, solo gigs in Victoria. Um and yeah, all the dates are on my website. I can't remember because things have been changed so many times. I don't, um, I, w- I don't trust myself to quote them correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone go to Liz Stringer's website. What is it, Listringer.com? Yep. Heaps of dates on there. Um, look, it's such a highlight having you on. I really appreciate it, mate. Um, and I look forward to catching you at a gig soon, even though I couldn't come to the Croxton because I was too scared to ask for a door Ugh. ticket next time. Um, look, Do you know, can I just week's... leave it on this note? It's always the people that are like the le- like the people that you would always give the tickets to are the people that never ask. That's just one of life's great juxtapositions. It's the machine, Liz. Yeah, it's, it's the, machi- the machine. I blame the machine. <laughs> Uh, that's been this week's episode of All Music Is Good, uh, the Olympics episode. Um, I think it's a gold medal performance from everyone. Uh, this is the first reference to the Olympics that we've made for the whole. Sorry, <laughs> we got there in the end. <laughs> uh, we'll see everybody very soon. Take care. See ya.